Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth, and we're here for a B-side roundtable today. Before I get into that, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you're listening to it right now. We are available on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod. I'm at DJ L O U I E X I V on Twitter and Instagram. We have merch available at poppantheonpod.com, and we have our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where we do at least three bonus episodes of the show per month at patreon.com slash poppantheon. Couple quick housekeeping things, gorgeous, gorgeous related things. Tonight, November 2nd at the Crawford in Pasadena is Pop Pantheon's first live show. It's called Pop Pantheon Live, Britney's Music, Memoir, and Legacy. It's going to be myself on stage with Jason King, Troy McKitty, and Kirby Johnson, and we're going to be talking all things Britney, the memoir, the music, what it all means. I can't wait. If you are in the greater Los Angeles area and you're looking for something fun to do tonight, come see us at the Crawford. I will put the link to get tickets in the show notes of this episode. And I'm really looking forward to seeing a lot of you there. We're also going to be doing a little Britney dance party in the parking lot after the show. So I can't wait to meet everybody at the show on Thursday. We're so psyched. Russ is going to be in town. It's going to be a whole party. So we'll see everybody tonight at the Crawford. And then of course, next Friday, November 10th is Gorgeous Gorgeous, the actual Gorgeous Gorgeous, official Gorgeous Gorgeous at Resident in downtown Los Angeles. And then the following Thursday, November 16th, Gorgeous Gorgeous and Who Weekly will be doing our joint party in New York City at Fishbowl at the Dream in Midtown. So, so much fun stuff coming up. Links for all of that will be in the show notes of the episode. They're also in our bios on Instagram. So I hope to see all my LA and New York area girlies at some of these events over the next two weeks. So this week's episode is a roundtable about celebrity scandal as prismed through the lens of Lizzo's recent lawsuits. So as many people know, Lizzo was sued recently by a series of former employees, backup dancers on her tour, etc., for workplace misconduct, sexual harassment, fat shaming, religious discrimination, etc., etc. And there's been a cooling off period. This was a hot topic when it first happened and now things have kind of settled. The court case itself is not figured out yet, but the dust has settled and I thought it was a good time to invite a couple guests on and have a discussion about Lizzo's scandal, what's unique about it, how it fits into the broader context of pop star scandals, how pop star scandals have played out in the past and how they've affected artists' careers, how artists have weaponized or utilized scandals to further their careers and music and personas and expand their on-record selves to great effect, and who has not been able to recover from scandal, who is also currently embroiled in scandal, how it all interrelates, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a really interesting conversation, and I'm glad that we finally got to have it, and I'm glad we're having it with a little bit of distance between the initial incident and now. So without further ado, here's my conversation about Lizzo and pop star scandals with Megan Agnew and Hannah Pfeiffer. Okay, I'm here with features writer at the Sunday Times in London, Megan Agnew. Megan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Libby. And I'm also here with journalist and culture critic Hannah Pfeiffer. Hannah, welcome to the show as well. Hello. So we are gathered here today to talk about a 
fascinating, dynamic, kind of controversial topic, I think, which is both the recent scandal that has gone on in Lizzo's career, in which a number of former backup dancers sued Lizzo for sexual harassment, for creating a hostile work environment, for racial discrimination, and a number of other things. Charges that I think are particularly interesting in the context of Lizzo because they're accusations that go very directly against Lizzo's particular brand, which is about inclusivity, body positivity, etc. So I want to talk a little bit now that we've had a little bit of like a cooling off period on the sort of heat of that story about like what happened there, where we're standing with the whole thing at this moment. And then I also want to use this conversation as an opportunity to talk a little bit more broadly, to zoom out and talk about scandals, pop star scandals, when and how they impact various pop stars' careers and why. I wanna discuss like if there's particular kinds of scandals that are more detrimental to pop stars' careers. And I wanna talk about if there's particular ways that pop stars in the past have actually utilized scandal, perhaps even to their benefit. Have they found ways to take hold of that narrative, use it as ways to create grist in their art. I'm just interested in the ways that scandals impact celebrities' careers. So let's start with the Lizzo story and maybe just get ourselves grounded here for a second. Megan, I'm going to ask you first. Can you just lay out kind of in broad strokes what happened in this Lizzo moment? Like what were the accusations? Who made them? And where are we with the whole thing, you know, two or three months after it happened? Well, this kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? And it was this like huge storm of a week in August when three of her dancers, right, from her tour filed a lawsuit in LA. And what did they accuse her of? It was sexual, religious and racial harassment, disability discrimination, assault and fat shaming. Mm -hmm. And so I've read those court documents and they're detailed and they sort of go inside various rehearsals, various conversations that they had with their bosses. And I think what it came back to at the end again and again was this is what the dancers said was that they tried to bring it up with management at the time and they couldn't get anywhere. And this was their last resort. So Mm. then there was this whole social media storm in in those days following. Lizzo then released an apology on Instagram four days or so after, denying all of the allegations. And then most recently, her lawyers have applied to the court for the case to be scrapped because she says that the dancers were after a payday and again denied all allegations. Hannah, can you maybe also describe for us a little bit like some of the specificities of this allegations? Like what were these dancers saying was happening with Lizzo or like what were they leveling at her exactly? Well, some of the allegations were that Lizzo took them to a nightclub and that she made them touch on some of the dancers. Some of the allegations was that one of the dancers had a disability and took a recording device into one of the meetings. And after Lizzo and her team found out about this, they locked the girl into a room and forced her to delete the recording. There were allegations against one of her team captain dancers of religious discrimination, saying that she would berate some of the dancers about their sexuality, but also sexually harassing them in the same time, saying things about like her sexual fantasy 
agencies. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. You know, it's something that I was sort of thinking about earlier, and I want to pause this to either of you who wants to take it. But I think another important ground layer for us to lay out here is why this is maybe particularly detrimental to Lizzo. Because one thing that I was thinking about is a contemporary of Lizzo's in the contemporary pop space is Doja Cat, another huge ascendant pop figure who is kind of constantly embroiled in various controversies. She's known for being an edgelord. She's known for saying things that would get a lot of other pop stars, it seems, canceled or you know, air quotes, whatever around that. And she's able to kind of incorporate it into her general brand as somebody that is comfortable being disliked or is comfortable being combative with the press, being combative with her fans. It's not the one-to-one because obviously the things that Doja Cat does in public or does to engender controversy in her career are not exactly the same as sort of behind the scenes allegations coming from people on her team, etc. But I think maybe it'd be helpful just for anybody that needs to get a broad understanding, like why why is this particular scandal particularly shocking or detrimental to Lizzo? Like, what is Lizzo's brand and why does this undermine something fundamental about Lizzo? One of the things that came up when I was writing about it at the time and I was speaking to various people was this, like, the authenticity thing, right? And and right. that is Lizzo's brand is that she is real. She was the real one in a sea of fakeness. And that was mm-hmm. why and is why she was sort of brilliant. And that's what people loved. And someone said, like, now we have to wonder whether she's real. And now we have to wonder whether all mm. the feelings that she made us feel and the people in the audience feel are real as well. So it was like, it's that really unsettling thing of like, oh, I thought you were the true one. I thought you were the one who was being true to us. Because obviously mm. she had done all of the things that people People before her weren't allowed to do and that was incredibly mm. freeing she was like wearing tiny outfits when she was I mean I'm saying fat because she calls herself fat and I'm not sort of using that word for her and you know she like twerks on stage and she was what you weren't allowed to be and she also kind of like put two fingers as well up at um having to be thin and like squeaky clean and good and I think that was that's kind of heartbreaking when you realize even the one that's meant to be true and real might have cracks might be more human than you thought Mm. something I've been turning over about this particular thing in my head is that Lizzo's part of a generation of pop stars and perhaps the most obvious representation of where kind of like branding is even more center stage than music like I think about Lizzo in this particular way where her music feels like a piece to the general reason that people are fans of her but not like necessarily like the central reason that people are fans of her it's almost like Megan what you're describing this sort of beacon of light this person that is creating representation in a space where people like her have not been represented before have not been embraced by mainstream culture before on this level have been able to exist and not only exist but take up space and I don't mean that you know I mean that in every possible way I mean that's been a very powerful thing to watch it's been I think a revolutionary thing to watch. It's been an incredible, whatever you think about Lizzo, even as a brand or as a, as her music or whatever it is, like the fact that Lizzo exists and is having this level of success is kind of in and of itself, the central 
part of the fascination with Lizzo, I think, in some ways, like more so than her music. You know, we can all have our opinions about Lizzo's music. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows that, like, I'm not the, the biggest fan of Lizzo's music. But I think part of the reason that this was so gut-wrenching, if you do sort of view Lizzo in this way, is that there's not a ton holding it up for me in terms of, like, the meat on the bones of the musical part of this. It's not like she has 15 hits and, like, they're just coming out nonstop and, like, you know, there's kind of, like, this foundation that she can just kind of go back into the music part of it. It's, like, the reason she almost, like, is beloved is so much about the fact that she's exactly who this lawsuit says she is not. It couldn't have been a more detrimental accusation to this particular pop star. So that was one thing I've been turning over in my head. I guess maybe I'll ask you, Hannah, how, what do you make of Lizzo's reaction to this? Like, she did apologize, but I don't think she gave an apology that many people found enough or, like, acceptable or whatever. Like, can you just characterize a little bit for us, like, what the apology was like and what you personally sort of make of that? <laughs> yeah, I remember when reading the apology the morning that it had dropped and I just felt like, girl. <laughs> I just felt like she was not getting to specific point. I don't know if she wrote it herself, if she wrote it with a team, but one of the things that I found particularly disappointing was her continued focus on saying that she won't apologize for her creative expressions, which that feels like it's alluding to the sexual harassment claims, mm. which it's like, no one wants you to apologize about that, at least not in this particular case. Mm. And I think framing it that way does bring up this idea of like, oh, Lizzo is this fat black woman. And for her entire career, she's been criticized very vocally, as Megan has said about like dressing in very tiny outfits mm. or working. That has become much of her brand being like, I can exist in this body and be sexual and overt, just like all my other pop star contemporaries. And so it feels like making it seem like I'm not going to apologize for that. It's like, well, if you're just doing these things consensually, you don't have to. Mm. But when you're being accused of taking your dancers to nightclubs and making them caress on the performers, that's a completely different thing. Mm. What about you, Megan? What have you made of the sort of apologies that Lizzo's made or, or non-apologies almost? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I feel the same as Hannah, which was like, uh, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Hannah, you're a journalist as well and have been writing about this for your career so I'm sure you have an understanding too of like the inner workings of those legal teams and those PR machines that are behind these pop stars and like you could hear them all the way through Lizzo's statement particularly the lawyers because I felt sorry for her in that moment because mm. if she even showed accepting or acknowledging guilt then she would have been in trouble. And it sounds as if from the beginning, her lawyers wanted this whole case to be scrapped. They do not want this to mm. go anywhere near a courtroom. And I'm not saying that absolves her of not acknowledging wrongdoing. Celebrities have done it in the past, but you could kind of hear the, the lawyers in the room being like, do not acknowledge mm. we are just carrying on on this road of mm. denial. And so, yeah, it was quite a shock to hear that hard 
hardness, particularly yes. with the lyrics controversy when she changed her lyrics. She was like super, super self-reflective about that, certainly publicly, mm, and said that she'd right. go and do the work and that she never intended that lyric to come across that way. So yeah, it felt a bit different, but I wonder if that was just because there were lots of lawyers in the room. It's difficult to know. And she's in, I think, a very tight situation here because weirdly it would be within her brand normally, I think, to actually like be like, I hear you, you should have a voice. I mean, that's very like Lizzo, like everybody deserves space. Everyone deserves to have their perspectives heard. I mean, that's her entire shtick. And yet at the same time, if she acknowledges this particular group of people's voice and sort of perspective in the situation, it's at the same time undermining her brand. So she's really like in this tight situation. And then the other thing I want to bring up is like, I'm sure that there's legal considerations as to why she reacted in the way that she did. But I also think she might be ripping a page out of a Doja Cat's book or something like that, because there is this sort of, you know, I uh, we recently did episodes about Doja Cat and I really want to say this fragilely because I do not think that these two people are equivalent to each other but there is just one thing that feels like a thread to me in the post Donald Trump ecosystem there is this sort of like never back down never apologize and if you can sort of just like thug it out through that whole thing like you can kind of get away with a lot of shit like Donald Trump kind of like proved that in some ways and I think Doja Cat like takes that approach to scandal in her own pop stardom she's just kind of like yeah like I don't apologize I do what I do and like that's who I am and like either love it or not or don't love it and like I also wonder if there's an aspect of like Lizzo and her legal team and her PR teams like looking at that and kind of going like it's like what you said Megan it's like if we accept any of this responsibility like then we're going down but if we don't it might be awkward in the moment it might be uncomfortable to wade through in the moment but ultimately it might be better for us to not implicate ourselves in any way and I wonder if you think that that's true because I guess my next segment I want to present to the panel is like where are we with Lizzo right now she hasn't released new music obviously since this. I don't know what her future plans are. What do you think the public is thinking about this at the moment, right large? What are Lizzo fans in particular? How are they reacting to it? The general public, like where does Lizzo sit currently? Like kind of in this middle zone where like these charges have been made. We haven't had them sort of adjudicated yet in any sort of official way. Like where is Lizzo right now? Like in the public firmament, do you think? You know, I follow a lot of publicists in particular and they've been describing her sort of approach to this as taking a business as usual approach. Mm. So we her at events, you know, accepting awards. And as you say, she hasn't put out new music, but she still has been posting on social media. Mm -hmm. She's just going on about her day in a way. So I don't know long term how this will play out for her. As far as fans reaction, when this came up, you know, I sort of thought like, who is the sort of quintessential Lizzo fan? Mm -hmm. In the day and age of social media, you know, you see most fandoms are populated by teenagers or just sort of like these emotionally stunted <laughs> adults. <laughs> I think the thing about Lizzo is that a lot of women her age felt very seen mm. by her. And so it's a lot of mature, older women who aren't going to be so inclined to be like, oh, Rizzo is perfect no matter what. And, you know, people are just going to, are lying, da, da, da. I mean, like I said, we still have to see once she releases new music. But 
seeing that her fan base isn't just these sort of mindless fans, I think it's going to be a question of it's probably going to hit her. That's really interesting. I hadn't, yeah. I think that's probably true. And certainly in the UK, people love it in the UK watching people crash. We've got a Mm. long history of like building people up and then dragging them down when they fall. And I think people like Donald Trump... People like our now former Prime Minister Boris Johnson have like ridden it out, but they've also like built from the beginning an identity which was about them being that way. So you have this like in Bill excuse, this like self-protection thing, which is like every time Boris Johnson would get in trouble, he'd be like, well, yeah, like I told you I was this guy. I was always this guy. Come (laughs) on, what did you expect? Right. And kind of shrugs and everyone's like, you know, you hear people ask on the street, oh, it's just Boris, Boris is Boris. Whereas you are held to a much higher standard if you are the good person from the beginning. And I think like a Doja Mm. Cat, when she turns around, she shrugs and she's like, I always told you I was her. (laughs) Like you knew that, you Mm. guys knew that. Whereas with Lizzo, she was like the good one. And so this is really difficult for her to do the same thing because she was never that person in the Mm. first place. You know, it's so interesting because I've just been trying to process this through the lens of my own feelings about Lizzo's brand and music, which like have always been complex. Because it's like what I said was from the beginning is like what I said in this show, which is like, I love that she exists, but I just have never really like resonated with her work. Like I just don't find it that compelling. And I I find it kind of one dimensional. And I think that that's been like the struggle for me with it is that I enjoy conceptually the message, but I think the way that the message is delivered like sounds like a soap commercial in a lot of instances and like just sort of lacks nuance that I think would actually make the message more powerful. Like I think there's a certain way in which she also like presents healing that feels to me like she doesn't actually expose that much about herself. Like she, she puts herself across as this kind of like pretty like process heal you know person who's like been through adversity in the past with her own struggles with her body obviously there's a racial component to this but the way it comes across is I find kind of like surfacy and sort of like she's a one-dimensional branding exercise like it doesn't feel like you get to know the depths of her soul through her music which I think you're missing something for me I miss something in that that's not to say that I don't like some of the songs like I you know there's are certain Lizzo songs that I think are good but it's just overall I find it grating because it kind of hits this one one dimensional note over and over and over again. And I think there is also an aspect to this controversy where, and I don't want to put myself in this group of people because I, I certainly did not want to say like Lizzo go down or whatever. Like, as I said, I'm very happy for Lizzo to exist, even if she's not my cup of tea. But I do feel like what this has brought out is there was a segment of the population. And again, there's definitely like racial components to this that like were waiting to pounce on this, that were waiting for a shortcoming to prove that this person that's kind of presenting their own vision of perfection like a new version of perfection not in the jessica simpson version of perfection but like in the sort of like modern age like i've been through adversity i'm healed i'm inspiring you know i have hits like i'm twerking i'm you know i'm on my world tour and i feel like perhaps there's a segment of the population that was kind of excited about this happening and there was a little bit of like a chomping at the bit for her to go down is that something that you guys sensed at all or felt in the reaction to this yeah i remember as soon as i read it i I was like, oh, this is going to be a long day on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Every time 
something happens with Lizzo, whether she goes to like a basketball game and exposes her bum, something like that. I'm always just like, this is going to be a long day because people are very cruel to her. And I think that's what made everything about this lawsuit particularly crushing. Mm. And I knew people were just going to hear, oh, Lizzo has a lawsuit and not like get into the specific details because I'm just like, why are you like, quote unquote, supporting the victims who say that they've been body shamed and that you're turning around and using that as an excuse mm. to body shame Lizzo? And so that was very frustrating and something, I, you know, very predictable that I knew was going to happen. And it very much did. Mm. I don't think people really care about the victims or alleged victims, I should say, and what they might have gone through. They just care that like, oh, now we have an official reason to not like Lizzo. Mm. It's almost like they can now publicly name something that they've been wanting to sort of like vocalize, but like haven't had the venue to do so because of the way that her brand works or something like that. When I went back and was rereading and re-listening to some of the interviews of the victims after they filed, I was like, oh yeah, like they're kind of reasonable, just in their tone. And they were kind of like, we didn't want to do this. We felt compelled to, she was our employer. We tried to bring it up before. And I was like, oh yeah, like their voices are actually <laughs> kind of reasonable and rational and midway between these points. And it was just the internet that was screaming and going berserk. Mm. And like, sure, mm. they were filing what, like a 44 page legal document against one of the biggest pop stars in the world. So yes. And whatever happened, it was going to be bigger than the lawsuit itself. But yeah, I think it just spiraled, didn't it? From something that like, you, we have to remember that she was their employer and the touring company was their employer and they were employees. Yeah. So like that yeah. in itself is structurally different. It's not like their friend had done these things to, to mm -hmm. them. This was like their boss and their company that yeah. they were being paid by. One thing that I, I can't remember who I said this to, but I was processing this when it first happened. It might've been Russ, but I was like, some of this has to do with also just like changing workplace culture. Like, what used to be acceptable in a workplace culture, especially in entertainment and nightlife. I mean, I know it from my own career. Like there were things that were acceptable or like that you just kind of let slide as part of workplace culture working in nightclubs 10 or 15 years ago for that. Like now I don't think would be acceptable anymore. Cause like when you're in those types of environments with drinking, with happening at two in the morning, like it's not a convention. You're not going to an office and sitting at your desk. It's not like conventional. I mean, not to say that there wasn't of inappropriate behavior that happened in more conventional workplaces but like you go back and watch truth or dare for instance and like you could probably go through that movie and find numerous things to sue madonna over as your employer if you're the backup dancers on that tour or you know whatever but i think at that point it was just sort of like well this is rock star life this is culture on the road you know and you can see how it could be complex because as i said like you are artists sharing an artistic space together when you're a backup dancer for a pop star like you are in this blurry space between employer and employee and also like kind of co-creating with that person and you're also living together more or less and you're in these really close quarters and like you're probably away from friends and family so like the group becomes kind of like a 
group of friends and family and you probably do want to socialize with them and so I also just wonder if like not to excuse anything that Lizzo did I mean I, I you know I, I or didn't do we don't know obviously like this is all alleged and that can't be said enough but like I do think maybe this is like the dawn of a new era in which like the artist and employee relationship just becomes something more formalized where there are more boundaries and there are more of like a traditional workplace environment where like you don't really become friends with your boss like and there's reasons why you don't want to get friendly with your boss because these lines can get crossed and you don't want them to get crossed and I just have thought about that in the context of you know again thinking about Madonna tours that are literally memorialized in documentary on screen like where like you know this was just seen as cool part of of workplace culture that's different than normal workplace culture and maybe this is sort of like the normalizing of like the pop star machine as like a workplace culture or something like that you don't want to erase the experience of these or the alleged experience of these people but like some you know like some bits when they said like they had to work 12 hour days there was an element of me that was like you're working for one of the biggest pop stars Mm -hmm. in the world Mm -hmm. i work 12 hour days when i'm on a deadline we should have protection of course we should as workers Mm -hmm. so that we are Mm -hmm. not exploited but Mm-hmm. You know, like some things in a wider context, yeah, sometimes work is really hard. Maybe I sound like Kim Kardashian yeah. now saying nobody wants to work <laughs> these days. Work. Am I going to yeah. be like the new 28-year-old Margaret Thatcher on this podcast? Going to be trolled. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like some things, it's difficult to know. It's a grey area, right? And you're right, is yeah. that maybe there'll be a new generation who, and there is, who sees it differently. In the past few years, there have been all these conversations about quote-unquote parasocial relationship mm. and, you know, fictive kinship with a celebrity. And I think that happens a lot when you're working for one of these entertainers because a lot of people are like, oh, that's not my boss. That's Lizzo. <laughs> <laughs> there's like this sort of like blurred power dynamics that happens and very quickly when something bad does allegedly happen and you try to confront her or the company about it you very quickly realize oh no this is a person who is above me this PR machine and all of that. And I'm friends with a few dancers or people who used to dance professionally. And I didn't realize just how poorly, you know, Mm. they were being paid Mm. and, you know, just poorly work conditions were, you know, because people hear these things like, oh, you get to travel around the world and, you know, dance on the stage. Like, this is the Mm. life, you know, and even if it's bad, (laughs) it's still better than, you know, whatever the average person is doing. Mm. Yeah, there's this feeling like you should be lucky, so just take, just do whatever it takes. How good is this episode? It's good, right? Well, great news, because if you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love what we're doing over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where for five bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes of our show weekly. You heard that right. Every single week, we're dropping more of the same searing, in-depth combos you love about all your most anticipated new albums by stars like Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, and Tate McRae, just to name a few, parsing apart all the newest pop singles in our famous new music speed rounds, and of course, course, diving deep on your favorite classic albums like Madonna's Hard Candy, Christina Aguilera's Stripped, and so much more, all with your favorite pop pantheon guests. All this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So sign up at the icon tier now at patreon.com slash poppantheon, or simply by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. You won't regret it. 
I think one of the elements of the suit, and then I want to move on to sort of like a, a little bit of a bird's eye view on the scandal question in general with pop stars, but I think one of the elements of this case that I find the most complicated and interesting is the accusation by one of the dancers that she was going through essentially like an eating disorder and like a huge sort of like struggle with depression as a result of it. And it became clear to Lizzo and the team that she was, you know, not able to, because of what she was going through, she was not able to keep up with the schedule. And, you know, we can debate whether the schedule was keep up with a ball or not, but that's kind of either, neither here nor there. And basically essentially like they pull her aside and essentially say like, we want you to go take care of this. Like we want you to go, take time off and go have therapy and like whatever and the dancer received that as like a threat like the dancer received that as I have no choice but to like leave this tour you know and that's so interesting to me because I can sort of see it from both angles like I can see where that dancer was coming from and I can see the fact that like she didn't feel like she had a choice and like there's maybe there is some sort of subtext to what's being said there but then at the same time I feel for Lizzo in that situation because I'm kind of like what is Lizzo supposed to do in that situation? If Lizzo had sort of like seen that this dancer was struggling and said, no, you shouldn't take time off. We need you to stay on the tour. She would have been equally chastised for that. So it's so complicated. Like, I'm like, what should Lizzo have done in that situation exactly? Yeah, I remember thinking the same thing. But I, th I think the thing that I found latterly a little bit disturbing was Lizzo's lawyer's response to it all in which there was a lot of like these dancers had relationships with the crew members they arrived drunk and hung over and mm. I guess that is the nature of counterclaims and mm the next stage in the legal process but it sounded a lot like victim shaming might be too strong of a word but like slightly focusing on things that felt as like a viewer of all of this like a little bit irrelevant as to some of the allegations mm. that they were making particularly like mm. their relationships with the male crew members which also I found really an interesting part of it all like a lot of it comes down to like these dancers being ogled by these and like looked at and leered at by these crew members who were like driving the trucks and it just kind of made me sad because like I think obviously what Lizzo tried to do was like create this super open loving sexually free environment where like women Women could be exactly who they were and wanted to be but like that was also like immediately surrounded by the real world and we can talk about wh mm. whether Lizzo's world is real or not but that's kind of irrelevant that was like <laughs> surrounded by the real world which was like these kind of sounding allegedly gross pervy truck drivers mm. immediately mm. around them and it's like oh like you can try and create these little idylls of these safe havens but like at the end of the day, like we're still moving forward. We're like still trying to get there. So yeah, I found I found that quite depressing. But you're right. I don't know what the right thing to have done is. But I guess maybe in an office, there's like an HR team, isn't there? There's policy, right. <laughs> there's practice, there's you do this, you don't do this, you ask this, you don't ask this. All right. So I want to pivot us a little bit here and sort of like widen our lens a bit. So obviously scandal has been a part of the entertainment industry in time memoriam. It's been a part of pop stardom for a long time. I'm thinking of anything from Taylor Swift dating Maddie Healy earlier this year and him making pretty inappropriate comments about Ice Spice and, you know, obviously a lot, just a general 
really kind of controversial figure, Ariana Grande, either licking a donut or stealing somebody's husband <laughs> earlier this year, to Michael Jackson and like very serious allegations that have been made against him, obviously throughout his career, to, you know, what we're all dealing with in reckoning with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears at the moment. So with that all in mind, I brought up Lizzo's music earlier. I actually have wondered, could this create more interesting Lizzo music. Could there be something that goes on here that like gives Lizzo a little bit more of a dimension as a musician? It creates tension in her artistic persona that like hasn't really been there in the past. Like, is there a way that this leads to another phase of Lizzo's career that like maybe she weirdly might have needed? It gives the narrative something to have grist with or to have tension with that like it didn't have before. I guess I want to pose the question like, how have other pop stars effectively weathered scandal in the past, either in their work or by controlling the narrative? And like, are there specific examples of that that feel instructive to this moment? Like where have pop stars who have had scandal happen to them in the past come out on top in the end? And how have they done that? Well, I think, you know, with mentioning Justin Timberlake, that sort of gave him a career as we, mm. <laughs> Britney cheated on me. And I remember someone making this entire thread on Twitter that said during every single era of his, he would mention Britney in some way. So that sort of gave him this dimension around him. But as we see now, yeah. <laughs> that's people <laughs> around him and he doesn't have much left to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, early he's very talented, but when he made his entire persona about being hurt by Britney, then suddenly it's like, what do you have left? Mm. So it was like in the short term, it really helped him. But then in the long term, it kind of bit him in the ass, essentially. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts? I mean, I was thinking a lot about the reaction to Lizzo versus the reaction to Michael Jackson, right? Like, and as a reflection of the way that our culture has changed. I mean, when Michael Jackson first was accused of, you know, molesting children, there was a general rallying around him. Of course, there were people that believed that, but then there was also like a lot of people that just kind of were like, no way are you taking down like the most beloved pop star in the world. And there was obviously a much different discourse in popular culture at that time surrounding listening to victims uh, about power dynamics. I mean, all of these things. So he, I felt like was able to weather that scandal for a long time, not always, but, but, but definitely for a long time in his career by kind of weaponizing it, by painting him himself as the victim. You know, his music in the early to mid 90s became much more kind of combative towards the way people saw him, towards the press. And he continued to have a ton of success doing that by sort of changing the narrative to I'm actually the victim. I'm the person that's been taken advantage of here or who is, you know, under threat here. And that really like worked well for him. And so I think of that as like an interesting example. Again, you can't think of that outside of having existed in a completely different like pop cultural discourse and ecosystem. And maybe also he was also just in a unique position as like such a huge and important pop force that's like kind of unmatched maybe besides like Taylor Swift at this very moment maybe is like that big but like it's interesting like how he was able to kind of like effectively kind of like weaponize these accusers accusations in his music like against them and frame himself as the victim in a way that like seemed to work through a lot of his like life and career because I think it wasn't really until after he died and that documentary on HBO came out that like the public really like seemed to embrace this as or a large swaths of the public seemed to like embrace that as truth so that to me is an example of like where a pop star was able to like respond to the narrative that was happening to them in their music and kind of like change the way people were perceiving it in but a sense. I think then, I know we were talking about the landscape being different. The main thing is that 
there just wasn't social media. So Michael Jackson, like, didn't have to have a stance on it for most of his week. Like, he might go to an awards ceremony and be asked about it on the red carpet. He might have to do a press interview with a newspaper or a magazine and talk about it. But, like, these were really formalised moments of acknowledgement. And now Mm. we have this, like, constant stream of consciousness from artists and expect it from them as well. Mm. and we expect music all the time and we expect to know what they're thinking and feeling and if they're apologizing and how they feel and like it's so funny like the artists who have made their careers on social media and I would definitely classify Lizzo as being one of those her like Mm. immediate communication with her fans is one of the things that people love a lot about her and that's why they feel close with her they're also the most vulnerable to these fools and The ones, Mm. like, if you think about your Brad Pitts, even, like, dare I say, like, Johnny Depp, (laughs) they developed their fame pre-social media. And they have this, like, Mm. weird bulletproof, sure, half the world sees Johnny Depp for being separate, but, like, the other half of his fans, he's, like, completely, same with various allegations about Brad Pitt. No one expects them to address people directly. No one expects them to, like, make announcements on Instagram. We just kind of expect them to, like, be silent and go off and weather the storm. And Justin Timberlake's kind of similar as well. Yeah, he's been very quiet. But that hasn't helped him necessarily. It's not like being quiet has helped Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Like he has just become more and more reviled as he sits in the corner, it seems like to me. Yeah, I wonder what he's going to (laughs) do. I was just thinking like you were talking earlier about kind of like not responding as like a way to deal with this. And I think that that kind of characterizes Ariana and her new husband. I mean, Ariana has not really addressed what's going on in her life right now, which is another sort of pop scandal that's happening. And same with Taylor and the Maddie Healy thing. I mean, again, these were not as formalized. No one filed a lawsuit. And like, I think that makes it kind of different. But these are scandals where like there is backlash and there's a lot of kind of commentary. You know, with Taylor, it's like you say you're XYZ and then you're dating this guy that's like you know making racist comments about one of your collaborators and is you know weird and funky as a public figure in general and then you have ariana you know who has i wouldn't say like a good girl image but is like seen as like kind of a sweetie pie generally speaking who's who's also like been victimized you know a lot like her narrative also revolves around not around not victimization is not the right word but around her weathering difficult things that were not her fault necessarily from like you know the death of an ex-boyfriend to her obviously the terrorist attack on her concert etc and then you see her kind of doing something that seems we have no idea what's going on beneath the surface but the sort of public narrative has been that she basically stole this this woman's husband (laughs) and i think their reactions to it and their social media era pop stars ariana and taylor are so their reaction also has been to kind of like deal with it behind the scenes and like i mean taylor dispensed with (laughs) healy very quickly you know i feel like their response has been to kind of like deal with it behind the scenes and never address it i mean you could say the same in a way for like beyonce in the elevator talk about a pop star who's like very rarely ever encountered scandal and who keeps a very tight ship going on like the biggest crack we ever saw in beyonce's public narrative was that video in the elevator and it was major i mean that was a big deal and you know obviously with lemonade a few years later we got a little bit maybe of some insight into like what was going on there but like she never except for that one line on the flawless remix she never addressed that you know she never addressed it but she did use her art to respond to it in a way that was interesting that I wonder if like could be weirdly instructive to Lizzo in this moment like in some ways you could think about Lemonade as the way that she 
was able to respond to that controversy in a way. So like, I wonder if there's lessons for Lizzo in that particular example, because that would be what I would think would be the smartest move for her to do here is like, how does she utilize what's going on with her to like complicate her artistry? And perhaps she even needs that, but I don't know. That's one thought I had. Hannah, what do you, what do you hope for moving forward? Like, how would you want Lizzo to respond to this either verbally on Instagram or through her work? Like what, what would, what would that look like to you in an ideal world? It's so interesting because when this all hit, some people brought back up her song that she released in 2021 rumors where she had a line that was had to cut some hoes loose. Yeah. NDA, no boost mm. lips. Now them and assume me, bitch, I don't give two shit. Had to cut some hoes loose. Yeah. NDA, no loose lips. Now them hoes trying to sue me. Bitch, I don't give two shits. Which, I mean, obviously, this song was released two years before. Uh, <laughs> but some people think that maybe something else had happened or this funny foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> Very yeah, much. Um... <laughs> I mean, and also that single was not successful enough to justify how much it has like now been recontextualized in this <laughs> So yeah, you know, that was a part of it for me when you were talking about how would she address this in her music because I didn't like that song. No. <laughs> I like a lot of her music, but I don't know if this will give her a new edge to her, mm -hmm. so to speak. Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> From my perspective, the points that I felt the most like oh my god the poor girl woman mm -hmm. was like when I've heard her talking about the reality of touring you know she said mm. like a few years ago that like she didn't have any friends she said that she had a breakdown in 2018 because she was on tour too much and she wasn't close to her family as she wanted and like I haven't seen eras but I went to the cinema to watch it and like the thing that struck me was like oh my god there's one woman in the middle of this stage for four hours she's kind mm -hmm. of she's like surrounded by this whole machine but she was there by herself and like it's kind mm -hmm. of the same with Lizzo she's just there alone she's the only one she has a band but she's not in a band she's the only one experiencing it I think if I were her management I would authentically hopefully and it sounds it just say that like quite how pressurizing the touring climate is now for artists and how weird of a world it is particularly now when it's so hard to make money on Spotify and the, if you're the golden goose then you just get like taken around the world again and again and again and again for years and years and years mm. so I think I would acknowledge how normal working practice and behavior can be skewed and you can lose mm. track of that and that's what happened. I think that that's the way that I would go. And that sounds pretty cynical that I'm mm. saying use it. But I think that's the thing that strikes me with these singers. It's like they are living on a different planet. It doesn't excuse yeah. behavior. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't apply the same rules and working laws as well. But like, it's just a different planet. I also feel like before we leave this conversation, we should acknowledge the racial element of this. Like, I mean, we've been talking about Ariana and Taylor as counterparts to her. And obviously there's one very distinctive difference between what they're doing and how perhaps the public reacts to them versus this black woman in the space. I wonder if there's anything that should be said here about the way that the public is reacting to it or what responsibility we're putting on Lizzo or how much we want to, or there does seem to be at least in some segment of the population, a desire to take her out. How much of that is also the product of the, you know, intense racism that sort of comes across in 
pop culture discourse in standum, you know, across uh, in all of these ways. Like, you know, it's not lost on me that like in comparing her to recent scandals with Taylor and Ariana, and again, it's different. They were not legally implicated. It's, it's a very different situation, but their ability to just kind of go like, I'm not addressing that. Like, I'm not, I'm not addressing that. I'm just moving on from that. And then sort of this pressure we feel, or we're putting on Lizzo to handle this in a, maybe in a different way. Like, I just wonder if there's anything that we should acknowledge about that element of the whole thing. Yeah, you know, going back to a point Megan made earlier in the conversation, Lizzo had become this sort of avatar of authenticity and empowerment. And throughout her career, she's been criticized by Black critics for saying that she's been making Black music for white audiences or that she has made her image to be sort of cannibalized by white women, which I've always pushed back on because I think there has been this element of fetishization around Lizzo of being this big black woman who is very confident. And as you said, who hasn't really showed any real vulnerability in her music. So when she's going up there and saying, yeah, you know, I'm feeling good as hell. And, you know, I have my bad days, but you know, (laughs) I'm now a lot of white women in particular have gravitated to that and have used her as this mascot in a way that we've often historically have seen through like maybe the mammy archetype and so moving forward i don't know if that fan base will temper away from her or if they will hunker down around her so to speak when you were talking about michael jackson and that sort of era when controversy would happen the main difference then and now besides social media is that there weren't these sort of conversations about quote unquote canceling an artist just because they did something bad. You know, mm-hmm. we have all these conversations now about like separating the art from the artist mm-hmm. and are we complicit as an audience mm-hmm. if we continue to listen to their music mm-hmm. or go see them on tour. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, there wasn't that kind of conversation. It's like, yeah, R. Kelly did these things or might have done these things, but I'm still listening to his music. Mm. (laughs) That has nothing to do with me. Mm. But nowadays, it's like, no, if Doja is putting on a shirt of a white supremacist, (laughs) I can't give her money because then I'm indirectly funding that. Mm. And maybe people will see like, oh, if Rizzo is fostering this environment of sexual harassment or just overall workplace misconduct, can I still support her in this very material way? I just keep thinking about, just in response to what you're saying, at the end of the day, Doja Cat has one of the biggest hits of the year. You know, I do think the discourse is there. Like we talk about it and we we break it apart. But it seems to me at the end of the day, for most people, I think R. Kelly is finally out of the conversation. I think often cancel culture is inflated as an idea, but like R. Kelly got canceled. Like that's that happened. Michael, I don't know. Less so, honestly. Like, mm. I mean, there's definitely people with complex feelings about him, but I still hear Michael's music everywhere, you know, in a way that I don't hear mm. R. Kelly's, etc. And then Doja obviously and again i'm not equating doja cat with r kelly and michael jackson obviously her quote-unquote showing feet in racial chat rooms <laughs> is not the same as what either of them were accused of doing or convicted of doing in r kelly's case but like i do think at the end of the day despite how much we aspire to have a more mature and like responsible reaction to these kind of things a good single can get you out of a lot of shit and i really do feel like that's where lizzo's is going to hinge. The future of Lizzo's career is going to hinge on this. Like if she can return 
with a new song that people fuck with, she'll get out of this. I truly feel that. And if the music doesn't line up, then I think she's in deeper trouble. That's how I honestly mm. see it. And like, that's regardless of what happens. Cause I also think the other thing is the damage here has kind of been done. Lizzo's narrative is forever changed by this scandal. There's always going to be people that believe that she's not exactly the person that she purported to be. And like, that's over. So that's why I sort of think it's like, she has to embrace in my opinion that that version of her is dead. It's like the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Another scandal that she kind of incorporated into her music in that era Lizzo has to do the same thing like the old Lizzo can't come to the phone anymore like some something new has to emerge and it has to be in the funnel of like some great music like it really has to be good that will be her number one way of weathering the storm I mean nobody did a better job of this than the queen of kind of scandal and controversy and weaponizing it Madonna I mean Madonna is out here right now on her you know 40th anniversary in the industry like on a huge world tour and a, re a reason that she's been around for so long is because every time she got herself in deep shit she just like wrapped it into the persona responded to it in the music like made it part of her thing and like you know moved the fuck on no one was better at that than her she was she's so good at that and I think weirdly like Lizzo could take a page out of her book in this moment it's like she needs her look what you made me do mm. <laughs> she needs her human nature or whatever you know it's like she needs a moment where she admits that like this is now part of who she is and I think honestly you know and I, and again I'm not siding on like whether I want her to be successful or not I'm not like making a statement on like you know this is a, these allegations are real and I do not want to diminish like the experience of these alleged victims and like I have no horse in this race but as in pure brass tacks like if I was a manager I would say that like that would be the way I would respond to it is like let the art speak for itself and let the art be part of this I think if she tries to go back to making dove commercial music like mm. no one's gonna buy that shit anymore from her mm. at this point like that's that's done I wonder if to like conclude this conversation, we've all alluded, I mean, I've been more explicit that I'm like not a huge fan of Lizzo's music. Is there a specific song that the three of us could agree on, a Lizzo song that we could send the show out on? I, anything, a song we like, a song we don't like, a song that speaks this moment. Maybe it should be rumors. I don't know what it is. What do you guys think about Lizzo's music in general? And like, is there a specific song that like seems emblematic for some reason here? I remember someone describing her as being like glee <laughs> and so that's what i've been thinking about this whole conversation when you were talking about yeah, her music that's very accurate I like her music it's like it's very cheesy empowerment but sometimes you need yeah, that sure. <laughs> yeah what's your favorite song what was the one that she released last year it was bad bitch o'clock about damn time <laughs> megan you got a feeling on lizzo's music and a favorite song or a least favorite song i feel the same as hannah like it's cheesy but like sometimes i remember i got really into it right at the beginning of 2020 lockdown and i was like mm. trying to go on runs but, and I'm just not a natural <laughs> runner. And so I would nail the Lizzo music. Mm, and it kind of does mm. make you feel like, you know, your ponytail's swinging and you're like, I don't know, mm. it kind of, like it, it does the job when you need it. The one that sure. I remember was good as hell. That's like etched into my yeah. mind, but it reminds me of March 2020. So like mm -hmm. mixed feelings. All right. <laughs> I'm partial to good as hell slightly, but I'm open to either. Wait, what's your favorite song now? Probably good as hell. And, and and by favorite song, I mean, it's like maybe one of like the three that I like, which would probably be like good as hell, juice, and oh. uh, I guess about damn time I'm fine with, but like that's basically where it begins and ends with me and Lizzo. Like the rest of it, I really can't get into very much. I have to say, Louis, I think you're right though. I think we need like the next album titled like Banana yeah. Bar or something. You know, like we need like. 
<laughs> she needs to lean into the flying. She does. You know, whatever. She does. She does. She does. All right. Let's go out on Good As Hell. It's a formative Lizzo song. It's kind of like the genesis of Lizzo in many ways. And like, she needs to regenesize herself at this moment, it seems like to me, no matter what goes down here. So this was so much fun. Thank you both so much. Hannah Pfeiffer, Megan Agnew. Hope you guys come back on the show again soon. Thank you, Louie. 